This is Zach Phillips from OSR Capes Dax Bills, and you're listening to the Foxy Podcast. Sometimes I have a most distorted view. Run into Ryan and Misha. What did Doug do? Did you go up to the wedding? No, I was too late. And I feel so close to you Imagine what you want That's what I want to do Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota, and here in the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 51 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope everyone's doing well out there. We started off the show with an older track from Blanche, Blanche, Blanche called Ryan and Lisa from their Open Session Rock tape that came out in 2012. Open Session Rock became sort of an acronym for the OSR Tapes imprint run by Blanche 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 member Zach Phillips, who you heard introducing things at the beginning of the show. Started in Brattleboro, Vermont, and now based in Brooklyn, New York, OSR has issued a number of terrific releases over the past few years that sort of veer into the areas of left-field pop and other unclassifiable sounds. And this past fall alone, they put out a whopping 13 releases at one time that span uh, various formats and styles. On this episode, we're going to be speaking with Zach about his own music and about running OSR and his decision to move all label-related activity offline. We're also going to be playing a fairly healthy selection of tracks from not only the latest round of OSR releases, but from other titles in their back catalog too. Before we jump into that interview portion, I'm going to play another track from Blanche, Blanche, Blanche. This one from their latest and possibly last LP called Hints to Pilgrims. This is a song called Vacuum. Understand the weekends. In the video apartments. This is the way they traditionally heal. I see it right. You're going to stand debating love. You play with the good mediations. I wish every sequence. Science. 
So to to get us started, I was wondering if you could just provide some background on OSR. Um, I had always kind of thought that the open rock session tape from your group Blanche 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 was, you know, from a few years ago, was basically one of the first things that your label put out. But I guess, according to your website, you had actually started things up several years prior to that. Is that correct? Uh, I, yeah, I was I was uh, I was home dubbing. Since I guess and, and burning CDs or whatever with printed art and all that um, since around 2007, but there wasn't really there was no idea that it would you know uh, that I would connect with anybody beyond my immediate locality. And of course, it was fun to to send things into WFMU and see that they would they would occasionally get played or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I'm uh, I have some obsessive tendencies, and and uh, I I couldn't avoid listening to the entire tape as I dubbed it in real time. Um, whenever I would dub, so when I found out about National Audio Company, that really made my day. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It, it ended up being, um, you know, basically cheaper in a way in the sense that I, I wasn't spending hours and hours and hours dubbing and you know to wind up with a few tapes um wrapped in like you know uh like glued uh card stock or whatever like it just you know mm-hmm. made it made it easier to produce a bunch of copies of something sure yeah um, well from my understanding open rock or open session rock where kind of the name comes from was was more of a 
like a, a conceptual framework, maybe maybe an ideological stance rather than just the name for your label. In fact, you had mentioned somewhere, I think it was on your website or somewhere, that it was a psychological orientation towards songwriting and music production and the, like openness was a key to that. So I was going to ask you first, could you maybe elaborate on, on the meaning and, and the process that you're suggesting <coughs> behind that on that name? And then I guess, is that something that you feel is kind of a, a common thread through all the work that you release on the label? Well, first of all, I, I should say that I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of, of generally characterizing uh, all of this different work done by very different people. And I would, I would, be, I would be very scared to speak for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, second of all, I should say that the I, I still like the, the OSR concept because when I when I came up with the name for the label, it was just um, it was arbitrary. Those letters were arbitrary, and then uh, I guess it was three going on four years later uh, after releasing a bunch of little books and CDs and, and tapes um, under the banner of OSR um, that I came up with the backronym Open Session Rock for it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, and the definition of, of that phrase being that process, basically, of open signification. So... The idea being that the kind of um, expressive potentialities of a given action are not need not be decided, um, like in order for that action to take place. So I was able to effectively do some stuff and call it OSR, and it was only later that that operation, you know, it became clear what, what was going on there, what I was really, you know, trying to do. Sure, yeah. And so <laughs> the name of that ends up getting, it's a very recursive kind of uh, situation. Um, so I like that term because it points to, I don't know, a, a potentiality for, for um, looking like, you know, a way of looking at all of this creative work or whatever without uh, without reference to the kind of um, uh, assumed uh, conditions that I think normally go unchallenged right. around the production of art. It's like intention, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. expression or not, uh, and then the product and then the interpretation of that product. Well, what I'm saying is like... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm endlessly postponing interpretation, um, you know, the final interpretation sure. or whatever. It's sort of intentionally vague. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's intentionally vague. I would say it's, um, it's, it's intentionally, um, it, it avoids, uh, the point is to avoid, uh, like this kind of sedimentation, um, of like, you know, an archive or, you know, a kind of 
accumulated set of definite intentions, definite expressions, definite interpretations, a kind of, you know, a smudging of all of that stuff. So in that sense, uh, vague. But I, I find all of the kind of posturing around art to be hopelessly vague. So <laughs> introducing a little bit of uh, obfuscatory humor or whatever sure, yeah. uh, has always been part of my personality, mm-hmm. I guess. And that feels to me to be specific. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, OSR um, is also listed as being a not-for-profit label. And I guess I'm, I'm surprised that more people don't um, go that route so I was wondering, you know, I guess for you, what are some of the motivations for keeping the label on that level? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a joke, right? Because, like, you know, you look at at any number of small labels today, and even not so small labels, and we can basically see that these are not for profit. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, right, right. Um, because simply because it's not very profitable, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in another sense, like. I wouldn't really want to be making money off of other people's music um, who I'm ostensibly trying to help. Um, in practice, you know, my, my, my operation is small. Uh, so the whole idea of profit or loss is kind of, it's really beside the point, but I, I guess I, I, I guess I do, um, I don't know. There's this um, there's this prevalent idea today that like we're you know artists are their own managers. You have to be your own manager, your own PR person. You have to you know you play this game, and it's all geared towards kind of upward mobility in terms of being um, having your work valorized by um, institutional supports and all these other things, and and hopefully. And, and, you know, the dream, I guess, is that, like, eventually you'll be on, uh, you'll be gossiped about on these big content farms and uh, and your label will move more products and you'll release 10th anniversary uh, $200 books detailing your <laughs> rise as a curator or whatever, you know? Right. That's not, that's never been my dream. I mean, the the dream is to like I, this is my like it's heaven for me basically to have like to be able to do this stuff at all and so to be able to continue uh, is is plenty and and I, I you know yeah so that that's kind of I I, I feel like um, it would be cool it's cool it's cool to stay just like for your uh, for your goal to be. Um, I mean, literally the most sustainable possible goal would probably be the sustenance of an existing activity. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. Um, With respect to the the psychological orientation thing that you mentioned before, um, I, I can't really speak to that right now because I'm being so challenged by... Um, by these really great books that I keep reading, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I would, I would only like to say, I guess that um, 
I, there's uh, the horizon of like practice and of um, these these actual activities like writing or recording, etc. Um, I see these things to be the important part over and above the the products that are created through those processes. And um, and the word psychology is um, obviously uh, connotes a, co- a whole kind of uh, expert culture um, that has been enshrined in institutions, some of which are, are very um, oppressive uh, institutions. And... Uh, I'm I'm very aware of that of mm-hmm. the use of that word psychological, and I'm still I'm still basically figuring out sure. what I mean by that. Okay, give, give me a couple of years. <laughs> we'll check in with you in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into our our first set of music here, and um, I'm gonna play some of the vinyl releases that came out in that last batch of uh, quite quite a bit of releases that you put out at the tail end of 2014. But I wanted to start off with um, with something from Chris Wiseman from his Monet in the 90s LP. And I guess aside from even your work or the stuff with Blanche, 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 I kind of court, uh, sort of consider Chris Wiseman's work to be kind of at the heart of what you are up to as a label. I mean, what what a, what is the appeal of his work? Because he's well represented throughout the catalog um, right now. Well, I love Chris, and he's... Uh, He's a really inspiring uh, person, you know, uh, period. Um, and it's a, a pleasure to, to know him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it was really his presence, his, like, local presence in Brattleboro, along with uh, his brother Kurt and, um, and Ruth Garbus, um, them, you know, them being there made uh, all the difference for me and, uh, really challenged me to, to work basically because I, I was just in awe of, of them and, and remain in awe of all three of them. Right. Um, what can I say about Chris? He's, um, he's, uh, he's a lifer, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> he's entirely devoted to to music and right. um and it's it's challenging and uh i love i love the way that he uh he responds to to the challenge <laughs> right right well why don't we jump into it i'll i'll play something from from that release uh this is a closing track it's called coconut feeling once again from chris wiseman the place. 
place where the trees are thick and smell so you go Oh, for me, actions. 
As of uh, January 1st, OSR is, is now an offline-only label, and you're choosing to conduct all label activity through mail, phone, um, you know, without reading everything that you put through your official kind of statement about that. I guess what I want to ask is you clearly don't buy into this idea of the Internet being this great leveler, this... Uh, great democratizing force that it's often been touted as. Um, can you kind of explain maybe a little bit where you were coming from in making that decision? You know, the more I think about, I, initially, despite a definite disavowal of it, I was coming at it with a real kind of missionary certainty that I I, I thought would be kind of borne out by 
the results, but um, I, I realize now that that was really kind of an emotional reaction, um, you know, and a largely an emotional reaction to my own failure to be able to resolve my personal standpoint. Like, it's like, okay, I, I, I don't care, but I do. I want people to respect this stuff and for it to enter the conversation, but I despise the conditions of uh, inclusion in this conversation, and I, and I think the conversation is really uh, a little, a little, <laughs> a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so this like complete ambivalence um, meshes with my, you know, obsessive tendencies and my devotion to what it is I'm doing. And the end result is that you have like a highly strung out guy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really, um, I mean, yeah, first of all, I I have to say that, um, since, since doing that, I've been, I've been, I've been reading a lot and, uh, I have been spending less time online. So I've been, I've been reading more books. Um, and I, I really, for you know, a great um, you know take on this whole problematic of the internet in relation to uh, egalitarian culture and blah blah blah. Um, Astra Taylor published this book um, uh, last year uh, called um, "The People's Platform," and it's it's just exceptionally good. So I, I highly recommend that to anybody who's interested in this problematic and kind of, and, 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 uh, and it's not some kind of Luddite, like we need to, you know, like let's all get offline kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, it's really, a, you know, it's, it's very nuanced. Right. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because that actually kind of tied into my next question because, um, I started reading this book. I haven't had time. I just got like three days ago. Um, but I, I'm interested in some of the points that she's making, how uh, internet culture, online culture is still kind of falling into some of the old traps, like the old model, where things are kind of being streamlined and, and uh, filtered through where the big heavy still kind of control things, even though we believe that everything's, you know, a, an even playing field. Um, was that something that, I mean, what what were elements of her insights, arguments that kind of resonated with you, if there was one single thing that you pulled from that book? Well, um, one thing that I, I thought comes across loud and clear in, in her book is that um, the kinds of uh, 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 privilege that are rewarded in conventional offline uh, cultural hierarchies are demi- like can be demonstrated to actually be rewarded more online. Um, so you have this, like, you know, predominance of white men getting (laughs) rewarded Mm -hmm. for their cultural work. Um, uh, but you know what, what it really is, 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 is really an inversion of, there's this kind of like, how do we use the internet, blah, blah, blah. This is kind of the traditional way of talking about problematics, you know, attendant to the whole issue of spending much of your life on, uh, you know, in a, in a virtual space. Uh, but a real, you know, a, a, the inversion of that is like, how, how is the internet using us? Like how, you know, 
how is this uh, structured and what, you know, what does the structure mean for, for, you know, I, I feel itchy at even, uh, we keep, we keep, uh, in this conversation referring to a, a collectivity, uh, like, a, a we, and an- another thing that, uh, that the Astor Taylor demonstrates is, is that, uh, this this notion of like a global online we or whatever is really not accurate. Like most people in the world are not online. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that that you know the, this kind of invoca- invocation of a collective, uh, like this imaginary collectivity, is part of what online culture produces. And that, and that for me emotionally is one of the most dangerous conditions. Like this idea that I can put something up there. And it's public. It's not really. It's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know, in a in another sense, it's like we were talking. You know, I mentioned the whole um, this paradigm that you're like you, like every artist is their own manager and promoter and stuff. And that's that's a big part of this kind of like new online culture as it pertains to arts production or whatever. And for me, basically, I. I fired my manager, <laughs> so I I don't have one anymore, and um, and as long as I can keep him fired, then uh, then maybe you know the artist that is me uh, can start to use these platforms again mm-hmm. um, in a different kind of way without a manager character, without a PR character. And that's already happening. Like I have to use, I have to use the internet for work, and I, I have to use the internet for some label-related stuff. So mm-hmm. it's really, you know, it's not a, it's not like a, a hard line, you know, move. It's more like a transition into a different headspace and trying to bring that to bear on how the stuff circulates as well. Right. You're, you're not like unplugging and going and living in a cabin out in the woods. You're, you're still actively participating, just scaling back things. Yeah. I mean, uh, did you read that GQ interview with the, with the, um, North pond hermit in Maine? Mm-mm, I did not. Uh, you should check that out. It's this, this guy. I, I think he was, I think he was, uh, out there for, uh, I, I want to say 29 years oh, um, and in the same campground and, you know, in, in Maine where during the winter it can, it can easily go to negative 20 below at night. Um, and he didn't, he just, yeah, I, this interview with him really, I really rocked my world. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna. I wanted to bring up, um, you know, your decision to to go offline here comes at a time where, you know, this end of the year stuff, all these uh, articles about closings of things in New York, and then uh, music critic David Keenan had recently declared in his year-end piece in Wire magazine that the underground is dead in 2014, and he, you know, he lays out some different uh, points. But he really brings up like widespread social media seems to be kind of it's kind of at the heart of his argument. And he's saying that the the way we move forward is a new art that's almost sociopathic in its evasion and its willingness not to be liked and uh, basically unplugging. I want to uh, get uh-huh. your get your sense of 
do you feel similar thoughts like that that underground music is dead in some way i didn't read that i tend to side with Tori Kudo, who says that Wire is basically an imperialist <laughs> imperialist <laughs> operation. Um, but, uh, uh, sorry, what was the question I got hung up on the idea of making fun of Wire? Oh, uh, <laughs> is the underground dead? Well, I don't think, I mean, um, no. I mean, well, the problem is that these these digital platforms, something that they do very well is obfuscate power relations. So we are looking at what we're looking at and we don't, it's in, 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 in reality, um, you know, there's all these signifiers attached to things that allow us to see, ah, this is, uh, you know, this is the sign of wealth, et cetera. This is the sign of poverty. This is the sign of um you know of of these kind of like there there are these class signifiers all around um it's it's also uh the gist of what i'm trying to say is that um is that these digital platforms um can obfuscate and mystify uh economic relations and power relations that once you know erased uh, and glossed over it's really hard to tell who who's uh you know who's independent and and who is uh you know sponsored corporately and corporations have had a great time uh with the state of affairs in uh furthering this ambiguity um you know i i mean you look at uh uh well, no, I won't use that as an example. Um, so uh, this whole problematic, the, the, <laughs> is there an underground? It's its a difficult, okay, for, well, so what is an underground? An underground is um, a kind of cultural resistance movement, right? But its it's typically not, an organized movement. It, it, the term is used to describe kind of a host of activities and communities that resist the hegemonic culture, you know, that is imposed through media monopolies, etc. Well, now the media monopolies have gotten good at mediating all of our activities so that the underground, as it were, is actually passing through a sieve of you know, sponsored uh, networks. So you, yeah, you go to the YouTube and you you check out uh, like you know some some band's tape or whatever, some hardcore band's tape that one of their fans put on YouTube, and there's like a a, a twenty minute advertisement, <laughs> right, right, yeah, heading it up, you know, or or um or you know a band like Priests you know, like get sponsored, uh, gets a sponsored show by Converse or whatever. Um, and the point is not to, to demonize, uh, any of, uh, any of the particular actors. Um, you know, like for example, I, I think the band Priests is awesome. And I, I mentioned that specifically because I know I, I interviewed them and they were referring to, 
to what a weird experience that was to 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 play a sponsored show mm-hmm. um, anyway the point the point is that with the new highly individuated personalized uh digital media algorithms that these platforms employ it's 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 been made possible for entities like Google um, and Amazon and Facebook and so on to market your reality directly to you to help you to help you curate your own your own world and as a result of that what the underground is uh, is undergoing complete revision because it it it, it is now um, entirely mediated by these platforms mm-hmm. for the most part. And so, yeah, there, there is, you know, I, I do, I am very interested in, how can we move away from that? You know, what, right. and what would that look like? And that's part of what the gesture of, of trying to transition to an, an offline label means to me. Sure. Well, let's get into some more uh, um, new music uh, from that last batch of stuff. I'm going to place a few of the tapes that you put out. I'm going to, Start off with probably my my favorite thing of that whole batch is this thing from uh, Moth Eggs, and sort of it was a an offshoot of the Happy Jawbone Family Band, and um, man, this is a a really great release. And if I remember correctly, is there something else that you have forthcoming by the Moth Eggs down the road? Uh, that's confidential. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I hope so. Yeah, okay, I, okay. I understand. I understand that Francis is uh, is is working on a new a new album, and we've talked about doing it together. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, let's get into this. So this is a Moth Eggs with a track called "I Give Up." Yeah, 
suggested that uh, you, you were working kind of through a certain methodology uh, and it you said that it once and for all it toppled your inherent headstrong ambition to create quote-unquote great works um, I guess were you suggesting that you came to the realization that you kind of are interested in that sort of spontaneous approach to songwriting and recording and I know you kind of alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the open session rock concept but is that what you're getting at like what that you realize when recording that record yeah i basically i can feel the shadow of you know the hypercube it's like a fifth dimensional cube that uh you know can we can't see it with our eyes cannot see the hypercube but we can uh, my understanding is that uh uh scientific observers have been able to see uh, the shadows of hypercubes rotating mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in uh, in space or wherever I'm not I'm not sure uh, anyway the hypercube so it's this kind of impossible thing to conceive of that we can understand through its shadow I feel like I can I can feel the shadow of new ways, genuinely new logics 
for creating and relating to to anything. Um, and that's my project is to kind of you know uh, determine the contour of that shadow and try and try and understand uh, what might be possible that currently isn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess what I meant by that thing about great works is um, the conventional, the, the kind of like prevalent logic for the creation of innovative works today um, is seems seems fruitless to me. It seems like an, a frivolous exercise that um, is really is really all about the the valori- valorization of like the same old processes over and over again. And so for that reason, we have to or I, 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 I try and be careful about what my intentions are. Um, uh, going into, you know, the, the activity of production and Insta Pilgrims is a good example of that because there was this kind of, you know, the 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 idea was that the the end result would be totally overdetermined by these complex methodological processes or whatever, and that a so you know it. What, what has been called an aesthetic of sufficiency would kind of uh, would be the only guarantor of the success of the project. Meaning, like if the methodological conditions were met, then that's sufficient, and the project was a success or whatever. You know, and it, it resists evaluation in that way. But that became in itself a problematic idea like this idea of replicating replicating this kind of conceptual motion where like you produce innovation i don't want to produce innovation (laughs) (laughs) that probably sounds like a bunch of convoluted (laughs) bull yeah but um but that's really that's really where my thinking is at and and uh for a kind of for some context there that, that, um, you know, my, my, uh, mushy words would, would benefit greatly from, uh, I would recommend, uh, this, this incredible book on the new by, uh, Boris Groys, um, which I, I'm, I'm working my way through and it's, it's really blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. Now, is this now, I think you had also mentioned that perhaps this might be the last Blanche, Blanche, Blanche album. Um, are you guys just on kind of like a hiatus or have you just moved on and focusing your energies on other projects right now? Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I really hope, I really hope we end up making some more music together, but if we don't, that's okay. We made, we made quite a lot mm-hmm. and we were able to, um, to succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to get into some tracks here of things that you've been involved in, um, including some of your solo work, uh, some of your collaborative work with, uh, better psychics, which is with Chris Wiseman. But I'm going to start things off here with, uh, uh, probably the most recent thing that you also played on from CE Schneider topical. Um, could you give us a little background on this project here? 
Yeah, uh, that's that's my band with Christina Schneider, who is a wonderful person who I live with, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know what to say about it. Um, we play. <laughs> <laughs> And, and if I re- if I remember reading correctly, now you guys are going to be actually doing some touring uh, in the spring, right? In Europe. Yeah, we we both play um, with Sean Schuster Craig um, in Jib Kitter, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll be heading over to Europe at the beginning of March um, to play uh, a, a couple weeks worth of shows with him, and then we'll be. I think we're 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 only going to stay for one extra week, and we're we're still booking some shows. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the title track of this tape. It's called "Look Who Showed Up Out Here." And once again, this is from C. E. Schneider Topical. Sorry. 
Jerk, whoa, and then I'm mine.
So you were working on a, a Mahar Shalal Hashbaz album recently, which, you know, in my mind, that seems to just make perfect sense. Uh, just given uh, Tori Kudo's approach, it seems to really align with what you have done, both in your own work and on OSR. So I was just kind of wondering what that process was like for you. And is that something that is going to be something that will be out on OSR? Is that just a recording project that will end up elsewhere? Um, how was it to work on? It was very exciting to work on. Uh, I'm not the only one around here who, uh, loves Meyer Shalal Hashbaz. You know, me, me and, uh, and Sarah Smith from Triple Blanche and Quentin Moore from E. Wilson, Big French and all that. Um, you know, we've been listening to this music since we were all like 16 uh, obsessively and uh, yeah so it was highly significant to be able to, to spend time let alone make a make a record with uh, with Tori and Sukasa and uh, Naoki and everybody there there were there were a lot of people in me and Christina's apartment mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> did you guys also, I mean, th- some of the people that you mentioned, did you guys also contribute to it, uh, playing with the group? Um, yeah, I play some, I play some Wurlitzer piano and some clavichord um, on the on the recordings. Quentin played guitar on, on much of it. Um, uh, some, and, you know, other friends, you know, came to the studio and, and threw down for partial sessions, mm-hmm. but in, in the main, uh, and Christina's on there a bunch too. Um, but in the main, it's it's really it's really Meyer and Tori was was basically conducting it. Mm-hmm. Um, Arrington was there. Uh, um, what else did you ask? I was just going to say, is this something then that will oh. eventually come out on OSR then? I hope so. Um, I, you know, it's really up to, it's really up to the group what they want to do with it. It's not. Uh, I still, I still need to, to finish mixing it. Okay. Well, I was just wondering, kind of looking out with the year ahead. I mean, are there any other things that you can mention that you have in the works, whether from your own projects or things related to the label at this point in time? Yeah. Um, 
on Valentine's Day, I'll be releasing three new CDs um, and three new tapes um, and one book. Um, yeah, those those uh, seven new releases are um, Chris uh, Chris Wiseman's Living with Poison. Um, uh, Wink with Both Eyes, uh, with its original art by Triple Blanche, uh, Martyr Group, which is a new uh, album um, of my my songs recorded live with a bunch of guitarists, uh, Steve Cooper from Cloud Becomes Your Hand, Quentin Moore, um, Sam Elizabeth from Trudy Chibachi, and Colton Lepper, and my old friend Tommy Shatari who uh, is involved in a bunch of different groups in New York. Um, and the three tapes are uh, Joey Pizza Slice's new album, um, uh, a.k.a. Son of Salami, yeah. goes by sometimes, uh, and uh, a tape collection of my friend Andrea Schiavelli's uh, home recordings. Um, and then finally... Uh, Oh, uh, 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 Forgotten Device by Al Morantz, who's an incredible uh, home recorder out of Boston. Okay. And the book is uh, is a, 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 a short novel I wrote called Ashley's Jacket. Oh, cool. Is this your first? <laughs> is this your first um, publication that you've done of your own written work? No, uh, I, no. Actually, there was a time when OSR was more uh, books. Then it was uh, audio. Oh, okay. Um, so, and this goes back to that time. It's actually it was written in two thousand nine. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So Valentine's Day is the the next the next uh, big next. date. Well, I, wa- I yeah. wanted to, even though the information is 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 out there, it's on the website. Um, just for people who may not be familiar, what is the best way now for people to track down copies of your releases? Because you don't have the whole PayPal links or anything like that set up. You're working through mm-hmm. basically mail, snail mail, or phone. So could you just, in a quick little summary of how people can uh, reach you or get a hold of those titles? The simplest way to find uh, you know, detailed information on how to contact OSR is through the website, which is osr-tapes.com. Um, but uh, yeah, the the question is how how to do commerce or correspondence with OSR. Uh, you can reach reach us at PO Box three seven zero three five two in Brooklyn, New York, uh, zip code one one two three seven. 0352 um, and send a self-address stamped envelope uh, enclosed for uh, and you'll get you'll get a catalog uh, in response uh, and then you can respond to that with well-concealed cash or a check or you can contact me at 603-381-6721 and we can work it out uh, via PayPal I'm still I'm still using PayPal. Um, it's it's a necessity for international international business. Right, right. Um, so 
and then international, you know, uh, if you're if you don't live in the United States, you're welcome to email me, and there'll just be a a, a delay. Uh, as I I won't I won't get back to you right away, but I will. Right. That's well, the gist. Cool. Well, thanks, Zach, so much for uh, for chatting with us here on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for for your sweet questions and for your interest in, mm-hmm. in this stuff. All right, well, we're going to jump into our last block of music here, and we're going to try to squeeze in as much as we possibly can before the end of the show. We're going to start things off with something from Gordon Wallace, which is actually Robert Scott, an alias that he recorded under. This is a track called Mastery from his tape, Send Away. Show that I care. 
the fridge to the carousel Horses running in the universe And images are leaving by the rainbow bridge Mirrors flashing Mirrors flashing Mirrors flashing Flashing
that's going to bring things to an end for this edition of the show. Once again, I want to thank Zach for taking the time to chat with us. And as he mentioned in that last little interview segment, you still can track down information about ordering OSR titles from the website, which is at osr tapes.com. And you can also link over to the old website where there's descriptions and other information uh, about the releases that they have. But if you have any questions for me, you can always get in touch at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Or if you're out and about and you want to look at the playlist, the complete playlist for this show, you can head over to freeformfreakout.com. But as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Check back in a couple more weeks.